Good day, everyone, and welcome to today's Algiers meeting. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. The information and views conveyed by Energy Intelligence on this call shall not be considered as advice, recommendation, representation, or endorsement, and should not be relied on in connection with any business or investment decision. Any such use of information by any person or organization is at such persons or organizations' full risk. Later, you will have the opportunity to ask questions during the question and answer session. You may register to ask a question at any time by pressing the star and one on your touchtone phone. You may withdraw yourself from the queue by pressing the pound key. Please note this call may be recorded. I'll be standing by should you need any assistance. And it is now my pleasure to turn the conference over to Mr. Tom Wallen. Thank you. Uh, welcome, everyone. and. Uh, uh, my name is Tom Wallen. I'm the Editor-in-Chief at Energy Intelligence. And our topic today, or the, the title of the meeting, is The Algiers Meeting, Another Chance for Action on Oil Output. Um, we're going to be discussing the meeting next week of the International Energy Forum in Algeria, um, where there's a group of oil producers who have agreed to meet to discuss the current market situation and the possibility for some kind of joint action or an initiative to support oil prices. Um, with us today to evaluate uh, the, the meeting and the prospects for it, um, we have uh, three of our journalists who have extensive experience covering OPEC, oil markets, and uh, output agreements in the past. Um, from Dubai, uh, I'd like to introduce Amina Bakker, who covers OPEC and Saudi Arabia. Hi, Amina. Hi, Tom. Hi, Hi. Tom. Good to be here. Good. And from Cyprus, uh, we have Rafiq Lata, who's a senior Middle East correspondent with us. Hi there, Rafiq. Hello. Hi. Pleased to be here. Good. Good. And with me here in New York, we have John Van Shake, who's our team leader on oil markets and also our New York bureau chief. Hi there, John. Hi, Tom. Good to be here. Good. All right. Well, to start out, um, I'd like to go to you, Rafiq, um, uh, and uh, just uh, in the run-up to this meeting uh, over the last two weeks, I think expectations about concrete measures to freeze or otherwise control output seem to have diminished somewhat. Um, uh, with that in mind, what kind of agreement uh, might be possible, uh, Rafiq? Um, you know, how would you characterize the current expectations for the meeting? Uh, yeah, well, you're right there. I, I mean, um, over the weekend, um, the Secretary General, Mohammed Barkinder of OPEC, he, he sort of came out and said, uh, said it straight. This is a, a meeting of consultation, not decision-making. Uh, you know, you've had this, um, the, the main sticking point of, of this meeting is, uh, is Saudi Arabia's insistence that Iran joins a freeze um, for uh, current output or uh, an output level uh, of a, an agreed month, uh, um, while Iran uh, maintains that it needs to go back to pre-sanctions levels of 4 million barrels a day before it can even start uh, thinking about um, a freeze. Uh, plus, you've got hopes from, from countries that have been cut out of, uh, uh, of uh, production for some time um, through war or, or unrest, such as Nigeria and, and Libya. And uh, when it comes down to it, they're realistically not going to be prepared to, to uh, keep 
output steady at at, uh, at the current levels. Having said that, having said that, there is a big groundswell. What throughout the organisation, most of the countries would like some form of agreement. They're needing it. You know, they are hurting. Uh, you go to Venezuela, and it's it's um, you know the regime is buckling. Uh, and uh, even among those who who uh, who are professing, who are putting up the uh, the obstacles, you know, the Saudis and the Iran's and the Iraqs, uh, you know, they would they would like uh, an agreement, it, provided it meets their, their minimum requirements. Um, you know, uh, you only have to look at prices. You only have to, uh, uh, you know, they've come down off. off uh, well, they're heading towards 50, and they've come down in, in the last month or two. Um, the most recent OPEC monthly report. Uh, it uh, reduced its call on OPEC for this quarter by something like 300,000 barrels a day, uh, and uh, you know for the fourth quarter it was down to 3.25 million, uh, 32.5 um, 25 million, and uh, at the at the sort of best, most conservative estimate, production's running about a million above. So something needs to be done. Uh, I think everyone's aware of that. Otherwise, there's a serious risk of. Or of things getting worse. Um, uh, having said that, I think most people are in the expectation management mode with a hope that they can come out with uh, something that can uh, that can uh, you know satisfy the market, send a, send a positive signal at least. So there's a general recognition of the problem, but a lack of common ground to to or that's that's the concern here, I guess, going in, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So. I'm going to over to you. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia is obviously uh, critical here to any potential agreement. Uh, how do you see their current position, and has anything changed very much since the failed attempt in Doha in April? Amina, are you there? Hello. Hi. Do you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree, Tom, that uh, Saudi Arabia is absolutely critical to uh, any decision-making. And um, I would say that their current position has not changed from Doha. They still insist that all of the OPEC's members and major non-OPEC, in other words, Russia, need to be p part of any uh, agreement. But what has changed since Doha is that we have uh, Khaled al-Salah as energy minister, with, uh, with the, he was replaced uh, in, in May. Uh, Minister Naimi was uh, was um, uh, had 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 been replaced by Khaled al Saleh, uh, and the 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 main changes is that now Khaled al Saleh has more direct communications with Mohammed bin Salman, who in the Doha meeting we know had a critical role. He managed to uh, influence the outcome of the Doha meeting and spring the surprise. On us, uh, Saudi Arabia reversed its role, uh, its, its decision, and didn't agree on a freeze deal then because of Mohammed bin Salman. So the changes are now: um, is we have a new energy minister with a more direct link to Mohammed bin Salman. So hopefully, this time the, the the communication between them is more smooth than we had with the with Naimi. But in terms of Saudi position, um, I haven't seen any indication that they're willing to offer any compromises. They still insist that Iran needs to be part of this deal. And, and does this, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, agreement that was signed between um, 
um, I guess it was Putin and uh, Mohammed bin Salman. Does that have any weight in this? Does that change anything? Um, well, it, Putin, following the meeting he had with Mohammed bin Salman, we heard from our sources that um, Mohammed bin Salman told him that he knows and realizes that Iran wants to reach its pre-sanction levels, and uh, he knows that this is something they need to be patient with. And um, from uh, our reading of the situation is that perhaps uh, Mohammed bin Salman had promised Putin something. Uh, I mean, at least maybe they'll, they'll agree on some kind of consensus in Algeria for future action, uh, but we don't have details of, of what uh, what kind of promises were made during that meeting. Okay, th th thanks, Amina. I mean, going on to talk a little bit more about, about Russia and some of the other, um, you know, key uh, participants in this, um, wh what can you tell us about this, the position of the Russians and, and also Iran, I guess, you know, two of the really critical ones. And then, you know, we know that there are also some countries, for example, Algeria, the host, and also other countries like Venezuela who are very strong advocates of some kind of a action or agreement. You know, how much influence do they have in, in this process? Uh, or is it just down to the, you know, a couple of key countries? I think it's at this point it's it's really down to Saudi Arabia and Iran. Um, the, the, that's the main obstacle. But uh, we've heard Russian officials say that they will be in support of they're still in support of a freeze deal. Uh, how much influence they have? I don't think they will have much. Inf I mean, they didn't have much influence during the Doha meeting, uh, which collapsed. It was Saudi Arabia that uh, managed to spring that surprise. Um, in terms of Iran, I mean, their position as well is, is very clear. Uh, they, still, they still said that they're committed to reaching their pre-sanction output levels of 4 million barrels per, per day. Um, currently, according to the last OPEC report, they're close to 3.7 million barrels per day. Um, so they're close, but they haven't reached the 4 million bar barrels per day yet. Um, and other countries, I think, have less weight, and they've been doing this shuttle diplomacy since the start of the year. Um, they've been hurting the most by the low oil prices. So uh, we've been hearing a lot of noise from, from Venezuela, from Algeria, uh, from, from other states who are hurting. But um, in terms of actual influence, I don't think they, uh, they're, 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 their opinions weigh much in the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Rafiq, back, you know, back to you. Uh, what do you think happens if there's no concrete agreement to control oil output, uh, but rather some kind of softer agreement on goals or principles um, like the one we had recently between Saudi Arabia and Russia? Um, is something like that, you know, what, what happens if we have something like that? And uh, is that is that going to be meaningful? What do you think? Yeah. Uh, well, okay. First of all, I'd like to respond by saying what happens if there is a concrete agreement, you know, if they, if they, somehow square the circle and like you know slam dunk bust all our expectations and actually do agree to freeze oil output and you know frankly with oil output where it is at pretty much record levels and um, you know OECD inventory still you know on the rise forward cover still on the rise still very tight you know the IEA's pushed back its expectations for the balance, uh, the market's coming back into the balance for the later half of 2017. You know, you, you know, in any other time, 
you you freeze at a record level, and this is massively bearish. Um, and now we're talking about like not being able to do that, but uh, but issuing some form of statement, or uh, you know, you could have. If you look at OPEC history, they've had a thousand and one different ways to square, uh, skin a cat and come up with something. Um, and on the face of it, you're going to get something a lot less meaningful. I would actually caution against just writing off some form uh, of uh, alternative uh, statement or um, post-meeting statement as completely meaningless. I I think we're in a sort of watershed moment for this organization. It hasn't really taken a massive big decision since 2008. Incidentally, also in Algeria and Oran, December 2008, where they they really cut in response to the to the last uh, meeting. And uh, it's just going to take some time to get their acts together. I, I, I really think they've got to have a, if they have a discussion that addresses the real challenge, the real market challenge, the real revenue challenges, don't forget that these low prices come at a time where um, most of these people, um, countries, have, uh, have let um, public spending get out of control. I mean, uh, they, they, you know, the last year or so, they've tried to haul back, but uh, you know, populations are on the rise. You know, long term, they've got some very big structural pro- problems, and they need to be able to come uh, to some form, or, or at least lay the, um, the foundation for some form of agreement um, that, that happens in the next year or so, uh, or so preferably by the next me- meeting for, for this organization to have any meaning. And if they can do that, and if they communicate that, uh, whatever it might be, then yes, that will be meaningful, um, uh, very, very much so. But I, you know, I'm skeptical that we're going to get something that, that, that sort of, uh, you know, puts, is like a tonic to the market coming out of, out of the meeting, certainly in, in the absence of any oil freeze. Um, but there's no doubt they're 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 just you know they're in a critical time and uh, they should all do it and they did that in 2008 and on they realised that they had to they had to bite the bullet and take some pretty um, pretty hard uh, action. Um, the difference between then and now is uh, a uh, we we've got you know a brand new set of ministers. A lot of these guys have been around for a year or so. While then we had like a strong set of ministers that have been met some of them around for decade plus. We had the former um, Saudi oil minister Ali Naimi. You know we're talking about two decades, um, and you know they they had a certain understanding among themselves uh, and the ability to do that. And the second thing is a, a deeper malaise, which is you know have is is OPEC actually is it able to to influence the market in now uh, post emergence of uh, U.S. tight light? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Rafiq. Um, John, let's let's go over to the market side of things. Talk about talk about that a bit. Um, what do you think the the oil markets are looking for? I mean, what sort of agreement would provide genuine longer term support to oil prices as opposed to just some immediate psychological lift for you know a brief period. Yeah, well, the, the psychological lift we we had so far since the start of this year, basically um, uh, through this this talk of of a, a potential production freeze. Uh, that's not to say that the market is looking for that kind of deal for a, for a freeze. And, and as Rafik said, the market is well aware that that a freeze will do very little to to bring this market faster uh, to balance. But I think the mere fact that uh, ministers are talking 
the mere fact that there is a suggestion of a potential agreement, uh, that all is possibly uh, price supportive and, and, and has a price price impact. Um, having said that, you know you can see the market's general impression is one of skepticism, uh, and the mood for now seems to be to basically sell the meeting. You know, in other words, you know you write the way up on hope that there might be happening something, and then you benefit from from the, the dissolution afterwards. Um, some short-term price impact support could come from any wishy-washy deal coming out of, of, of Algiers or a statement that promises closer market monitoring or, or whatever might, might come out. Um, but that might, you know, uh, evaporate pretty, pretty quickly afterwards. Longer-term price support my thinking is is can only come from a deal that tackles the supply surplus. Uh, in other words, a supply cut. Uh, that would bring the market closer to balance. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, you then go into the whole discussion about OPEC's uh, output ceilings and, and <clears throat> where where do you put the ceiling, who is, who is participating. That's a pretty tricky uh, discussion. So uh, chances... My thinking is of that happening, of a supply cut, are basically pretty slim, basically close to zero. In, you know, in other words, why, why, for example, would Mid East suppliers uh, step back now and and start supporting non-OPEC output? Um, you know, Rafik said the last time OPEC <coughs> had had a, a real uh, meeting with a lot of action was in 2008. One could argue that that November 2014. Was was a very meaningful meeting as well because that that changed the course of of, of history, and <clears throat> and I think it's important to why don't you just review what you mean by that? Yeah, so I think it's important what what to remember what the Saudi policy is. The, and 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 Ali Naimi, uh, you know, just before he left, he spoke in in Houston, and he said he explained the Saudi thinking behind uh, the free market price discovery, and he said, quote, the producers of those high-cost barrels must find a way to lower their costs, borrow cash, or liquidate. And then he went on to say, you know, that sounds harsh, but, you know, that's the reality. Then he also said, cutting low-cost production to subsidize higher-cost supplies only delays an inevitable reckoning. Well, that to me is a clear message, and, and as Amina said, you know, uh, the Saudi official policy has not has not really changed. Uh, in other words, the Saudis still want the market to balance itself, and and the, the price support will come from falling non out non non OPEC supply. Now, <clears throat> I think there is a way uh, for OPEC to kind of change uh, the discussion, and and use Algiers. Uh, to change the market sentiment. All this this free stalk uh, of the OPEC ministers has has kind of uh, put them in a corner. Uh, the, you know, they, they have to do something about, uh, you know, the immediate market and immediate balances. Now, to get out of that corner, <clears throat> you, can, you can shift the debate. You can shift the focus. And instead of looking at, at the short term, uh, OPEC might start looking at the medium term. Um, change the market focus. Change the market's uh, focus from from uh, a, a, a surplus now to potential uh, shortages after uh, 2017. So <clears throat> OPEC and non-OPEC ministers 
can come out with some kind of commitment uh, and a warning, commitment, we will invest in new production capacity, and the warning is, you know, if we don't invest, the market might might run short. And, and that could basically change the whole sentiment of the market because you change the focus from the immediate uh, surplus to the potential uh, shortages. And, and it would get OPEC out of this, this awkward situation of having to deal with, with the short-term rebalancing. So that might be price supportive. So really focus on the underinvestment and the fact that that's going to create a shortage in a couple of years' time uh, and uh, ha- have some of agreement or some kind of set of principles about that. Right, um, and, and a commitment from, from low-cost OPEC producers, basically from the whole of OPEC, to do something about the future shortages. And what you might see is that the market sentiment then starts to change, the focus starts to change from uh, surpluses to potential, potential shortages. And uh, in addition to that discussion, you can say, well, you know, if, if you want these investments, the price needs to be a little higher. As uh, Khalid Tafala has said, you know, if, if you want meaningful investments and if you want to avoid running short, you need prices to be well over 50, mm-hmm. lower than 100, but well over 50. And, and that might start resonating and, uh, within the market. Well, what, going back, John, in terms of the market to the sort of the near term, you know, the, you know, uh, I guess the meeting, the meeting is on Tuesday, um, or, you know, we, we should have an outcome, say, a week from today, something, sometime. Yeah. Um, you know, what are the risks that oil prices will fall sharply if there's no tangible progress or we have another kind of Doha kind of outcome? Yeah. Well, then we, we uh, don't have the, the support of, of free stock anymore. Um, you know, any lack of a deal could knock prices prices down. Uh, you know, we're uh, then back at, at raw market forces doing doing the price discovery without OPEC, without non-OPEC. Um, that means that the market's attention move, moves uh, towards the, the uh, supply revisions again. Um, uh, we look at uh, the fourth quarter, we see non-OPEC producing more. Um, the market will focus on the rebalancing of 2017 uh, only then, and only then do you start to burn off, off inventories. Uh, that's a depressing prospect for the oil price, one could argue. Um, now, <clears throat> I think it's important to remember that we got these uh, recent upward revisions uh, because non-OPEC supply is stronger than thought. Um, Non-OPEC suppliers are cutting costs. They're very good at that. Uh, they have become very good at that. Uh, so one could argue that the best way to deal with lower prices is, is even lower prices. Um, Mid-East OPEC, Mid-East OPEC producers might, might hope that, you know, uh, lower prices for just a couple more months uh, would, would take the wind out of, out of non-OPEC supply. Um, so in a way, for, for Mid-East OPEC, one could argue that no outcome in, in, in LGS would, would not necessarily be, uh, be, be a bad deal. Um, now, in, in case there is no real plan for market management uh, uh, in LGS, the question then becomes, so how much would the price fall? Uh, that, for one, depends, uh, I think, to a large degree on, on the position of the financial players in the market. 
uh, you know, funds have been betting on higher prices uh, quite a bit. They might think this is a good time to bail. Uh, that will uh, result in a lot of selling. Um, at, at the same time, we've seen that the 4250 uh, trading range of, of Brent seems to have a, a pretty a pretty strong floor. But yes, there is there is a lot of uncertainty. Um, you know, we it, it, it's also good to remember that you know so far in in 2016 the average price of Brent has been $43, and yet non-OPEC supply has been revised up. So. So non-OPEC, even at, at, at the prices averaging 43 for Brent, are not doing uh, too badly here. Uh, yes, they're hurting, but supplies is still coming. Um, so would that then mean that you need lower prices than $43 uh, dollars for, for non-OPEC supply to, uh, to be knocked off? Uh, or could you say that, well, you know, uh, they they're just hanging hanging by and they're so financially emaciated that they even at current prices would would fall over so in all uh, i think without a deal uh, there's definitely quite quite a, a risk a downside uh, mm -hmm. risk to prices yeah okay um i'm going to back to you i mean you're going to be there next week covering this meeting for us um uh you know what? Uh, um, what are the chances that we get some kind of uh, surprise outcome? Um, and 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 you know what what might what what might that be? I mean, what do we know from from the past? I mean, these these, these meetings are very unpredictable. Yes, they are, Tom. And I think after Do what happened in Doha, um, a lot of even industry insiders stopped trying to guess what will, will happen. So I think there are still chances of, uh, of a surprise outcome. And this is amplified by the fact that um, oil policy in Saudi Arabia and, and Iran is overtly being politicized uh, these days. You have players like Mohammed bin Salman and uh, the supreme leader in Iran having a direct hand in what's going on. And their behavior is quite unpredictable. And it's, uh, it's, we have less of the technocrats weighing in on what should happen based on fundamentals and what, what seems logical to the market. So uh, that surprise element um, is, is there now more than ever. And what might the surprise be? Um, well, we might have a complete failure like we had in Doha. They might uh, not agree on anything. And uh, personally, I think if, if they agree to immediately take action, that would be a surprise too because right now at least uh, delegations have been telling us uh, that they expect uh, at best some kind of consensus or uh, an understanding among members or a promise of future action, but not immediate action. Um, as Rafiq said earlier, Burkindu had, uh, had mentioned that this is a meeting of consultation and not decision making. So if they decide to take immediate action, that would be a surprise. Okay, uh, and, and and would would the non-OPEC, uh, uh, well, Russia, I guess, in particular, is what we're talking about here. Um, does that does that add further unpredictability to it, or are they basically it's it's really a sort of OPEC that's because of this Saudi Arabia Iran um, difference differences between them that is 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 kind of at the 
at, at the core of the the problem within the agreement. Is that does that make the non-OPEC uh, dimension kind of secondary? No, of course. I mean, the more members or more states you add or you mo the more states you want uh, to agree on something, it becomes more complicated. But um, from, uh, I mean, from what I, my understanding of Saudi Arabia's uh, policy so far, they said the way forward is uh, they want both OPEC and non-OPEC to take decisions on market um, uh, uh, market uh, any any market it changes uh, to alterations to 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 stab or decisions to to stabilize the market. So of course, adding more states, the more non-OPEC states uh, you have, that complicates things. But at the core is the uh, is is the problem between Saudi Arabia and Iran. That's I mean that's that's what's stopping any action from from being taken. Okay. Well, I think with that. Um uh, we ought to open it up to the the audience to see if we have any questions um, for our our panel today. Um, operator, could you help us with that, please? Absolutely. At this time, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star in one on your touchtone phone. You may withdraw your question at any time by pressing the pound key. Once again, to ask a question, please press the star in one on your touchtone phone. And we can take our first question from Pamela Tetrarenko. Please go ahead. Hi there. Thank you for the very thoughtful analysis. My question for the market in 2017 is, do you think people are going to start focusing more and more on how supply and demand seems to be becoming, be becoming more inelastic? Lower and lower prices aren't really stimulating demand necessarily. So what are your thoughts on the nature of the relationship in reality between supply and demand as we head through 2017. John, do you want to comment on that? Yeah. Um, the elasticity on the demand side um, is, is still, I think, uh, there to a certain degree. Um, we have seen demand in 15, of course, uh, take a, a, a huge bump, 1.8 in our uh, balances. We still think that 1.3 uh, million barrels a day growth this year is possible. That that is uh, somewhat above average. Um, the the lower prices uh, still, I think, have have some impact. You see it, for example, certainly in the U.S. with with gasoline demand. Um, on the supply side, um, it's um, it's trickier. Uh, you you do see. Uh, uh, of course, the uh, producers react to cost quite uh, uh, to lower prices uh, quite dramatically by lowering their cost. Um, and the question is how much flexibility is there? Uh, the lower for longer uh, price assumption uh, uh, market assumption uh, that we uh, developed uh, a year and a half ago is, is I think, I indeed still in place. Uh, so yes, what we're looking for is uh, is indeed. Um, lower prices to uh, to knock out some uh, uh, high cost oil. You 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 do see uh, deep water uh, oil sands, uh, Arctic. New projects are becoming increasingly difficult. Uh, you you use more uh, of your your current um, uh, assets to uh, to increase supply. So in that sense, you're right. Uh, the elasticity is, uh, is 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 quite not there. 
Um, but going forward, um, uh, certainly on the demand side, I, I do think that elasticity is uh, is still working. Um, we do we do think that uh, uh, demand growth on the uh, can be above average at 1.2, 1.3 million barrels a day, uh, 2017 uh, going forward. Um, I apologize here for the if you've got hearing a, a siren got uh, uh, the New York NYPD or something out there. Um, I hope they'll pass in a second. But I hope it's not our office. No, it's not our office. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that, that uh, the, one of, uh, just to the, the point, of, or, or to, to elaborate further on that question, is I think that this, this whole rebalancing process is taking, you know, a long time, and it's going to take, you know, Months and months uh, ahead of us, and and um, that was not necessarily the expectation going into this. And there there certainly was a view that there would be a response from high cost producers, particularly U.S. Uh, light tight oil producers, um, and that hasn't materialized in anything like the fashion that, w- that was expected. I think. And so this this was described at the beginning in twenty in the end of twenty fourteen as as by OPEC as an experiment and a and um, uh, it's, it's proving to be a, a very tough experiment. And part of the reason we're having this Algiers meeting is just that that, that it's um, uh, the pain that's that, that, that's being created by it. Um, so um, I think it's hard to. I mean, the, our outlook for for 2017 in terms of supply and demand is that it's very it's, it's a very slow rebalancing process, and that the. The, the, the predictions of it happening happening more quick, quickly have been basically um, have not come through. So, um, other other questions from the audience that we can answer. As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star and one on your touchtone phone. We'll go next to Colin Smith. Please go ahead. Yeah. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. I've I've got two. Um, first of all, I'd be interested if you can provide any color on exactly what format this meeting is going to take, since it's discussed as an informal meeting. I mean, is it, are all OPEC members, including Iran, going to be sitting around a table, and will such a meeting also include, in you know, formally informally, representatives from the likes of Russia? That's my first question. Second question is, quite a lot of the delay in rebalancing is coming because. OPEC is increasing its own production, and I think particularly over the last few months, we have, you know, another three or four hundred thousand barrels a day of incremental production from Saudi Arabia, which may or may not be connected with the summer crude burn. And I was just interested to know if you have a view about whether Saudi production volumes are likely to come off quite sharply once we get into the September and October. Uh, months and how markets may react to that. Thank you. Thanks, Colin. Um, I'm gonna, why don't you? I think you're the best place to answer the question about the format of the meeting and what what we know, you know, uh, about um, what they how they how they plan to meet. Um, and um, maybe you could also comment on the Saudi, uh, you know, summer crude burn as well. Um, yeah, sure, Tom. Um, 
from uh, our current understanding of situation is uh, that um, the EIS will be between the 26th and 28th uh, of September. Uh, arrivals uh, will start on Sunday, and uh, the meeting between uh, the sideline meeting between Russia and the OPEC members will happen on the 27th uh, of September. Uh, but before that, we might have bilateral informal meetings uh, between member states, and uh, all OPEC countries will be sending representatives to this informal gathering, and Russia. Uh, Will, will also be represented. Uh, Iran will attend the meeting. They, they, quite, they confirmed quite early on that they will be attending. So unlike Doha, where we didn't have uh, Iran represented, this time they, they will be represented by their, their oil minister and delegation. And that's really all we know. We don't. I mean, there's a, there, there's a lot that's unknown about um, how long the meeting is scheduled for, uh, and so forth, correct? I mean, we just know no, it's time. Yeah, we don't know the timings. I mean, Doha was quite, I mean, everybody expected Doha to be about an hour. Um, we spent about six hours waiting. So, um, uh, yeah, it's still unknown. That, and it's also, the level of detail they're going to get into will, will determine a lot of, uh, I mean, how, how much time um, they take. So, yeah, that, that's still... Uh, we, we don't have details on that, and I, I don't think we'll know until it actually um, starts. And, and, and do, do the uh, one of the things that's been talked about is that perhaps the Algerians or um, the or Barkindo have some kind of uh, you know uh, outline or proposed agreement going in that, that that could be that could be the sort of template for the discussion. Is that do we think that's true? Well, Burkindo said he received assurances uh, that some kind of consensus will be met. Um, and his recent comments came today, actually. He's in Rome uh, at a conference, and uh, he said that he received assurances from uh, the Iranian president and the Iranian oil minister that uh, they will support uh, a consensus between OPEC and non-OPEC members. Um, so perhaps that consensus would be that some form of action is needed, and they could agree on, on I mean, uh, they can agree on what the details of the action later, like how the action will take place, but just agreeing that some form of action needs to be taken to rebalance the market would be considered a consensus of some sort. Uh, or even, I mean, if they have a, um, if they form a committee, like, or, uh, like sign an MOU, like we saw the deal between uh, Saudi Arabia and Russia forming committee, committee to monitor the market, that could be another form of, of a consensus. Mm -hmm. And what about the, the second part of Colin's question about the, the Saudi uh, production level? And uh, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, yes. During the summer period, uh, Saudi Arabia's production goes up because of, uh, of summer demand, and we've seen their production go up this year to close to 10.7 million barrels per day, and that was a record production. Um, there were some expectations that in August, the August level is going to go above 10.7. It didn't. It was slightly uh, below that number, um, and it's, it, it'll ease, of course. It'll, it'll drop further. Um, it's expected to, to drop uh, to, in September as, as uh, the crude, for, uh, crude burning um, decreases. Um, but I just want to note that, I mean, this summer there was a drop in, uh, in the crude burn, 
because the Wasit, the giant Wasit gas plant came online and that provided a lot of the substitute for, uh, for, for gas burn, uh, sorry, for the, for the crude burn. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'll leave the question to how that would impact prices to, to John. Yeah, just to, <clears throat> to, uh, to add to that, um, tanker traffic uh, uh, signals that the Saudi exports in September are closer to 7 million barrels a day. Uh, so that would be a significant drop from, uh, from August. Uh, but keep in mind that Asia is going into maintenance, and that's, of course, the, the largest uh, export market, uh, as does uh, uh, Europe. And there will be some maintenance in the U.S. as well, quite significant. Um, and the, uh, so the, the production levels of, uh, of Saudi Arabia might reflect that. At the same time, we've also seen Saudi uh, crude inventories, commercial crude inventories, come down uh, by well, at least 30 million barrels um, over the past couple of months. Um, so it's, they might decide to, uh, to add some to, uh, to inventories again. Uh, they, they came off a, a, a historically high level. Uh, uh, that is true. Um, so uh, one, one should not just, I would, I would say, look at Saudi production levels, but also look at, uh, at their actual supply to market and, and how much they put into their uh, inventories. Okay, thanks, Colin. Was that did that did that uh, uh, answer your question about uh, both both things? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's very helpful. I take the point about Wasit, but I mean, if you think that Saudi Arabia was sort of 10.2 production before summer, and now it's 10.6 or so, even so, it if that's all crude burn, it's still the usual summer 400 to 500 thousand barrels a day. And I guess I think it's part of the reason markets have become more pessimistic about the balance is that a lot of people just look at current, current OPEC production and roll it forward as the supply, and then they're looking at um, agency forecasts for demand and non-OPEC supply. And obviously, if OPEC stays where it is, then it looks like rebalancing takes a lot longer. Obviously, that number could go higher or lower. Um, with a commensurate effect, I suspect, on uh, on market feelings. Yeah, Colin, this is this is John. That's that's absolutely right. One thing to um, uh, keep in mind as well, of course, is that with the additional refinery capacity in Saudi, <clears throat> a lot more crude is being burned at home for uh, uh, for for their refineries. Uh, as a result, the net exports of refined products uh, are much higher than before, uh, and uh, officially, we don't count. Uh, products for uh, for OPEC uh, uh, OPEC uh, uh, quotas or, or you know uh, OPEC doesn't look at, at products that much, but for the balances they matter of course, uh, and that's something to look at. Um, in addition, uh, the two refineries, Saudi refineries, are going into maintenance in I think November and December, uh, so you will see. Uh, potentially uh, either production coming off a little bit um, to make room for that or see crude go into inventories for that. But the Saudis have said all along we sell as much as <clears throat> as the clients want. Uh, their pricing is relatively benign uh, across the globe and uh, they make sure that base load crude is Saudi crude. 
Other questions? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, other questions? As a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star and one on your touchtone phone, and we can pause a few moments to allow questions to queue. And it appears we have no further questions at this time. Okay. Well, I, I, we're we're sort of 45 minutes into this. I think that's kind of all the time we wanted to to spend. Uh, there's obviously a whole lot more to discuss here, uh, and uh, we'll all be uh, watching with interest what happens next week. So, um, with that, I'd like to thank everybody for attending, and also thank Amina and uh, Rafiq and John for Pleasure. their comments. So, thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. This does conclude today's Algiers meeting. Thank you for your participation. You may disconnect at any time and have a great day.